Lord, this morning we ask that you would give us ears to hear your word. Lord, open our eyes to see more of who you are. Help our hearts to be soft and ready to receive the word, Lord, as it comes. Lord, help us to act on the word as we hear it, to be doers of it. We just praise you in this service. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you take your seats this morning? I had this fear that you were going to finish praying and then start playing again. And I was going to have to go sit down again. (laughs) But I'm glad that it worked out this time. Well, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. And um, as you heard last week, Terry preached through all the way to 10 verses, which was kind of a miracle. So don't get used to that. It's normally just handling a couple of verses. Um, So today, I'm going to try to tackle 12 uh, to, to not have... Never mind. So um, we're going to begin in verse 11, and these are big thought processes, so we just don't want to cut Paul off. They're they're large thought processes. A lot of times where Paul transitions from one thought and then to another, and so as we saw last week where Terry preached, regardless of how many views the world has about human nature, the Bible only has one view of what human nature really is, and that goes back to we all start out evil. It's not that we start out good. And then throughout time or influences or circumstances, we become bad or that we start out bad and then become good. We all start out evil is really what the Bible says. And then it goes on to say we live for Satan, the world, and the flesh. That's what the Bible says happens to us. But God, in verse 4, we see something else beginning in verse 4 just to recap last time. But God being rich in mercy and love for us. Terry could have just preached a message on the first couple of verses, which would have been a very depressing message. But Paul goes and says, but God had some incredible things in store, and he gave rebels like us life in Christ. We are now alive to Christ and dead to sin. God saves us by his grace through faith, as we saw in verse 8. And then verse, um, the next couple of verses says, true faith is alive. So Paul draws us in, tells us what we were, and then tells us what God did for us. And this morning's message is very similar because Paul parallels some things. He contrasts some things. And this, most of the time, is the way it is in the Word of God. If God wants us to understand something, like for love, for instance, He doesn't just take love and try to teach us what love is. A lot of times He comes at it from two different points. So, for example, if this is love... By itself, if you just try to teach on love without anything else, it's hard to understand. But God gives love, and if you just put a point on a paper, there's nothing to correlate it with. But when you put another point on a paper, there's now distance between those two. And that's exactly what the Bible does. It says love, and then way on the other extreme, it says hate. And now God is teaching us from both angles what love and hate is. You know something tastes good because you know what tastes bad, right? What is sweet to what is bitter. Well, the Bible does that a lot of times with God's power and our weakness. His light and then darkness. Holiness, sinfulness. God teaches from both angles. The same as we're going to see this morning. Same as we saw last week. We were born evil, but God did some things and now we can be righteous And so I want us to begin in verse 11. Verse 11. Before we go into that, would you pray with me for the reading of God's word? 
God, we do pray that you may speak to us. Open our hearts. Open our ears to hear what you would have them hear. God, may you speak through me. We know your word is precious. God, is it authoritative? So God, I pray that we may let go everything going on in our life and focus on what matters most. And that's what you have to tell us this morning. I pray that I may be an instrument in your hands to be used however you see fit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Let's start there. It says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were. Let's pause there. Paul just told us two things back to back. He said, remember, and then he says it again, remember you. And so he's calling us to remember some things, but who was Paul talking to originally, church? Was he telling you to remember something, or was he telling the first church that read this to remember something? See, that's why it's important to understand the audience and the context. Scripture is everlasting. It's eternal. It is useful for us today, but we weren't the original audience. We were an audience in mind. And we, we gain value and depth and understanding from this just as much as they did. So we at least need to have an intellectual understanding of what Paul was calling them to remember. But we also need to understand we're not going to remember things the same way they did. Because we didn't live through these things that we're about to go through. So it's important for us at least to understand intellectually some things. Their church, like our church today, was predominantly Gentiles. That means non-Jewish. And so for the first time in history, these Gentiles in the church are experiencing what God is doing. And so Paul is saying, time out, remember what it was like in the past. And we've never lived in that time, so we're going to dig into that and try to wrap your head around that. So beginning in verse 12, it says this, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. That's our point one this morning. You were at one time separated from Christ. Now, Christianity, as we know it today, everybody can come. If anyone desires to come to Christ, no matter their race, their gender, their color, where they're from, how much money or little money they have, anybody can come. However, that hasn't always been the case. In the Old Testament, we see where God only revealed himself to a small group of people. He only revealed himself to the Jewish nation. He said, I'm going to choose this small group of people that has nothing to do with them. It's all about me doing it through them, and they're going to be a light to the world. So that, that's what it meant. So you couldn't, you couldn't just come to that unless you were Jewish. And so Paul is saying, remember, you were separated from Christ. If you are someone who's not a Jew, you were separated from Christ. And then beginning in um, the rest of verse 12, it says, Remember you were separated from Christ and then alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So if you wanted to come to God, you couldn't just go to God. You had to actually go to Israel. And then the next verse actually says, And you were alienated from Israel. So you had a desire to go to God. You'd have to go to the nation of Israel. And Paul is saying, Time out. Remember you were even alienated from the nation of Israel. So what are the Gentiles to do? Well, beginning, continue on. It says, remember that you were excluded from citizenship there. We were strangers 
I want us to turn to John chapter 4, and we're going we're gonna to see something here. John chapter 4, and this is Jesus. He's talking to the woman at the well. We're going to begin in verse 20, John chapter 4, verse 20. And it says this, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the proper place where we ought to worship. So again, very sharp contrast here. She's saying this is where we worship, but the Jewish people, they worship over there. Your God, my God. That's how it was. And that's, that was basic understanding. And it may not seem fair, but that's biblically just what we have in the Old Testament and even some of in the New Testament. There was this separation. And then Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. I know it seems unfair, but it's just a biblical fact that God chose a very small nation, a very small group of people to reveal himself. But Jesus goes on to say, but listen, the hour is coming where it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your nationality or where you're from or where you're going to worship him. We no longer have to travel hundreds or thousands of miles to go worship God. We can do it because there's something that's been changed and now he's living within us. And so I know there's a lot of talk today about Jerusalem and the new temple being created I don't know if you keep up with some of those things and end times prophecies and all those things. The Bible says nowhere about a new Jerusalem on the earth currently that's going to be created where God's going to come back and dwell in it because God already destroyed it. He broke the Holy of Holies, which is where God's presence was dwelling. He broke it in two for a reason because he created something better. So he didn't create a better thing only to destroy the better thing to go back to the old system. So as you're thinking through, and if you hear some of these things, just make sure your theology lines up with actually what the Bible teaches about end times, because we have been given what God ultimately wants, and we're going to get to that shortly. So let's continue on. Verse 12, we're also strangers to the covenant of promises. So he just keeps listing things out here. Strangers to the covenant of promises. As Gentiles, we had no we had no promises given. There was no covenant between us and God. There was a covenant and promises given only to the Jewish nation. And we see that in Genesis chapter 12. It says, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, says God. He says, I will bless you. We didn't get that. He says, I will make your name great. That wasn't to us. You will be a blessing. That wasn't to us. I will bless those who bless you. Curse those who curse you, I will protect you. None of those promises and those covenants were given to the Gentiles. They were only given to Israel. So we had no share in that. Continuing on, where Paul is just listing these things out, it says, having no hope without God in the world. Point number four, remember, church, that you were hopeless without God. The entire Gentile group, for thousands of years, was hopeless without God, strangers. Now, some of you might be thinking, and in a sense it does kind of parallel, when you weren't a Christian, that's about as close as we can remember being a stranger and alienated without the promises of God. 
If you can remember that time, that kind of parallels to that. But understand, even in the midst of when you weren't a Christian, you had hope. Why did you have hope? Because you could come to Christ if you desired to go. They couldn't. There was, no, there was a separation of that's their God, and you can only have that God if you're Jewish, and you can't even go over there because you can't be accepted. Very little were ever in the Old Testament were Gentiles ever brought into any of those things. Only little glimpses we see here and there. But now God has done some incredible things, and we begin to see that. Look with me in verse 13. Verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus you. So Paul, you know, if I just preached this message, it would be a bad, sad, depressing message. But Paul doesn't end it, which is why we have to do all 12 verses today. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you, God has done some things he didn't have to do. He could have just left it that way. It would have been fair. But God, through Christ Jesus, did some things. And I want us to look at this in verse 13. It says, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Church, never before in history, up until this point, could that be said of the Gentiles. Never before. So this is, this is something that's not just a given. Now for me, for most of my Christian life, I just assumed this whole Christian thing and me being able to go to God was a given. And I took it for granted. But when we go back, that's why the Gentiles and the New Testament church was so excited because this was the first time they had access to God. And we must remember that as well. We must remember that. We were brought near by the blood of Christ. Look with me in verse 19. We're going to skip verses 14 through 18. We're going to come back to them in just a second. Look with me in verse 19. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens... But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we were once strangers and aliens, and now it's saying you're no longer strangers and aliens, but what? Fellow citizens. The Gentiles can now be fellow citizens. That's incredible. We recently preached through Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. If you just want to write it down, you don't have to turn there. It says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. If you go to Ephesians chapter 3 and look in verse 6, it says this, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. That means the Jewish people and the Gentiles, they're both heirs of the same thing now, members of the same body, partakers of the same promises in Christ through the gospel. In Romans chapter 11, I want us to turn there. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 11. And this will be important for those of you who are in connect groups because there's a couple of questions on this one. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 11. says this, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall, speaking of the Jews? By no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches 
for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? The Bible is very clear saying the Gentiles are now fully included into the promises that were given to the Jewish nation. Full inclusion, heirs, the Bible talks about. All of these things, and it says they're one. Not one and still separated, but one. Ephesians, I want us to get back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. We're going to go back and cover verses 14 and 18. Hopefully, you kept your finger in that place because I forgot to tell you that. So, verse 14, it says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken us down in the flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, we're going to break those down a little bit. Verse 14 makes reference to both of something. Verse 15, one new man in place of the two. Verse 16, reconcile both to God in one body. Verse 17, he came to preach to two groups of people to make them into one group of people. So, and then verse 18, through him we both, and then it goes on to talk about unity in one. So in every single one of these verses, Paul is saying both, two, pair, couple, both men, and then he's talking about unity in one thing. So my question for us this morning is, what are the two things he's referencing over and over and over again? It is the, we'll try this again, church. It is the Jews and the Gentiles, okay? And he's going to bring them into the one person, which is, and don't say Jesus Christ. This is not the right answer in this instance. Most of the time in church it is. Not here. He's going to bring him into one thing, and that one thing is the, the church. The church. Look with me in verse 15. It says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So the Jews and the Gentiles coming together into one, the church. Now, I want us to wrap our minds around this, and this is... Um, I'm passionate about this because of what God has been teaching me through this study. Because for all of my Christian life, I have not really put as much emphasis on the church as much as I think I do now through this study. And I always had a higher view of the church recently, but it's so much more than that. And I hope you'll see this. We have the Old Testament where God decided he was going to work through a small group of people the nation of Israel, and then we come to the cross with Jesus Christ bringing about salvation for both the Jews and the Gentiles, his death, burial, and resurrection. And for most of Christianity and most of us, we focus on the cross, and we focus on salvation, and we're excited about what God has done in us, but we've actually missed why he did that. We focus that salvation was for us. 
but that's not exactly what it was for. Look with me in verse 15. It says that he might create in himself one. See, the ultimate purpose for the death, resurrection of Christ was salvation, but salvation to get you somewhere, and that was to the church. And a lot of times we think we come to church to get saved, but the Bible is actually teaching we get saved so we go to church. And that's a a mind-blowing concept because a lot of times we come here to get things for us, and God's saying, This whole, my plan A for all of eternity, plan A for me to receive the most glory was not through your salvation individually. It was through the body, the church body, that you are a part of cumulatively. So I'm going to give you salvation. You receive salvation, and now you're part of the church body. That's why it's so important that we are a body. That's why it's important the words we sing to songs. That's why it's important that we don't have sin in the church. That's why church membership is important. That's why we give sacrificially of our time. That's why we're supposed to give financially. That's why our commitments should change when we're part of the body. There should be no division in the church because it's his plan A. For a lot of my Christian life, I thought his plan A was focused on my salvation. And that's man-centered, very man-centered theology, that he did all these things so I could have salvation. He did all these things. It's almost like God, it's almost the difference between God throwing me a party, right, or God throwing a party and I'm invited. The party, look around to your left and your right, is the church, and we're invited to the party. And a lot of times we think we're the party. And, you know, I just started thinking through this, man, I have not put as much emphasis, and I'm a pastor working at a church. You know, we don't put as much emphasis that the party is actually the body of Christ, the local church meeting together. And so we just want to continue to encourage you, encourage you. I want us to look through these couple of verses just to get this concept. Let's begin in verse 14 again. For he himself is our peace, who made us both... And has broken us down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. It's saying that the whole thing, he broke down those walls, what he did on the cross, it was for the purpose of the local church, growing the local church, building the local church, to take the two, to put them into the one. And so I have an illustration I was thinking about excited about getting married, right? And and you've met this person, and there's this couple, and the guy has proposed, and she's accepted. She's got this beautiful ring, and then they, they plan their wedding, and they're excited about that. Then they get married, and whenever you talk with them, whenever you ask them about how their relationship's going, what if she always referenced, just look at this ring. She always references the ring, so excited, look at, look at this stone. Every time she talks about this stone and she pulls out her wedding booklet and looks back at all the pictures from the wedding and the, the hair up until the point and the party. And, and she always did that, but never about the marriage. The wedding and the ring was only the first step into the marriage, right? 
It's what was taking you to the marriage. That's exactly what God is saying like with the church. Your salvation was the marriage and or the, the wedding ceremony and the church is the marriage. And as you go, and a lot of times Christianity just, just focuses on the wedding, receiving salvation. But he says that's just the first step into this. So I have a question for us this morning. When we look into this, do you treat the church body, how the Bible speaks of it, how, how you've been learning this morning, do you treat this place as the marriage? Or have you treated salvation as the marriage? What is, what is your outlook? How involved are you in the local church? That's why we encourage you get involved in connect groups. There's groups that meet throughout the week in homes getting to know one another. Get involved in ministry. Sign up to be a greeter. Sign up to help in children's ministry. Sign up to, we have tons of things to do, but build relationships. This is where the party is happening. You're going to grow spiritually and that ultimately God is bringing about all this as his plan A. If you think the wedding was incredible and the ring is incredible, he did those things so you could experience the fullness of his plan A, the church. I want us to look as we close in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, the last couple of verses. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This leads us to point four. But now you are members of God's household built on Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. This whole structure, the church body, it, it is built upon the word of God which has been given to us by the apostles and the prophets. But the foundation of this is Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. The whole thing. And it goes on to say in verse 21 that it is presently doing something. For all generations, when people read this, the church is doing something actively now because God is doing it. And it says it is growing. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. And it can grow as big as God wants it to be because the foundation is strong. The foundation is Jesus Christ. In verse 22, it says we, which we're part of, as part of the church, we are being built together for a dwelling place for who? Church in verse 22, for God. We, as the church, with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we are being built to a place to where a dwelling place for God. So in closing, I want us to see salvation was not given so that we could just have these joys and privileges and hopes. Salvation was given to us. If you've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it's given so that you can experience God's plan A, the church body. And a lot of times, and for most of my life, I've focused that his plan A was my salvation. And that is just the start of a relationship with him through the church body that he wants us to have. So we encourage you, get plugged in, 
because you are missing out on what God wants to do in your life, to grow you, to stretch you. And all of that happens in his plan A, the local, the local church. Would you stand as we close in prayer? Let's pray. God, we do pray that you may turn our world and our lives upside down for what it means to be in Christ. God, I know for so many years I have just thought of the salvation you've done in my life, forgiveness of sins as the ultimate experience of you. But God, that's not what your word says. That, it says that that was an entry door into the ultimate experience, and that ultimate experience is the church. The church where we can have brothers and sisters praying for us, spending time with one of us, showing your love through our conversations, supporting one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, uplifting one another. All of that happens within the church. So, God, we pray as a church we, we may do that better. God, that we may love people more. That we may encourage others. God, I, I pray that you may put a strong desire in each of our heart to become more involved in the church and to reaching out into the community and reaching in to those who are even sitting here this morning that are not plugged in. And maybe they're here for the first time or second time. They don't know anybody But God, this is your ultimate plan of revealing yourself, and we thank you that we are a part of that. Help us to live and act in a way that's going to bring you glory in everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I encourage you, before you leave, if you have any questions or anything you'd like to talk with us about or prayer requests, um, Pastor Terry will be in the back, and I'll be right up here in the front. We'd love to meet with you, but we hope you have a great week. Thank you. You're dismissed.